you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 12. And um, last week, uh, we uh, continuing on in this study on the church, we uh, drew another example from the church and specifically that in Antioch. Uh, yes, in Jerusalem, but also in, in, mainly in, in, in Antioch. And from this first church era, there were those three points that we talked about. The first one was nothing should keep us from doing the work of the church. Nothing on this earth is more important than the eternal work of God. That, that is why we are here. Uh, we've talked about it many, many times before. God didn't save us uh, just to let us free and go do our own thing. God saved us so that we would be his children, so that we would be with him forever. And once we're his children, he puts us on his mission to reach other people. And that's why we're here. Uh, there's no other reason why God would leave his children in, a, in, a, in an earth that is uh, under essentially this temporal dominion of the prince and the power of the air, the God of this world, as the Bible calls it. God wouldn't leave his children here if there wasn't a greater, more important, eternal purpose for us to be here than to just save us and take us home to be with him. And again, that is because there are lost people still in need of Jesus Christ to save them and uh, to transform their lives. So again, there should be nothing that keeps us, keeps us from doing the work of the church. Number two, we saw is uh, needs can be met if we stay unified and in a right relationship with our blessings. Again, the church in Antioch was a new church, and yet they rallied together seeing this need that existed in an older church in Jerusalem, and in their unity, they said, you know what? We have what we, we have, and we can give what we have. And so that's what they did. Each man gave as he could give, and God blessed their, their unity, and God blessed the fact that they had a right relationship with their blessings. They didn't see everything that they had as their own. And just as we saw in the first church in Acts chapter 4, that's exactly what happened. And then the third one was never devalue God's ordained order or underestimate God's ordained operation. And that is his church, that is uh, his people that he puts in place. It's God's order, it's God's ordained operation. It's our, our job not to devalue that or underestimate what God can do in and through, the, through his church. Uh, again, we see over and over and over throughout history that God uses common people, that God uses regular people to accomplish his supernatural plan. And that's how he gets glory. It's not from the superstars on the earth. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use people who are rich or people who are famous. I believe God can use anybody. But the Bible says God specifically chooses the base things and the weak things, the things that man looks at and says there's no way, so that God gets the glory. So again, we see this church Antioch send an aid and relief to the elders uh, in the church of Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Again, there was this fervent love that existed in this first church that was is so inspiring. This fervent love they had for one another fostered this unique unity. And, and, and again, if you are a child of God, there is something in you. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter, no, no matter how you're feeling, the spirit inside longs to be unified with the body. It longs to be unified with the Father, with the head, with Christ. The spirit longs for that. Not only that, we have a love in us because we have a relationship with God that doesn't exist outside of the body of Christ. It just doesn't. You, you can have really, really special kinds of loves outside of the body of Christ, but there is a special, unique kind of love that exists inside the body of Christ if we will tap into it. If we will, if we will follow the Spirit's lead, there will be a love that exists in the church that the world sees and knows us as the children of God because of that love. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. 
So last week I, sh- I shared that it's sad when professing believers were more passionate about their position on the government, more passionate about their position on masks, more passionate about their position on vaccines, or whatever the case may be, more passionate about those things than we are about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And not just more passionate about him, but more passionate about those things than we are him and sharing the good news that Jesus still saves. And Jesus saves. Again, I, I, I would challenge and encourage you, if you have social media of any kind, pray about a little detoxing. Pray about maybe a little fasting from it. Pray about saying, God, I know I'm supposed to be light in this dark world. Instead of using this as a platform for times when I complain, keep me in your will. And, and, and let me be a light in the darkness. Let, let me use the things at my fingertips. We were having a conversation last night and uh, with some youngins and... Uh, we were explaining that there were some things that we used to do when Rochelle and I were dating and, and then even early in, in, in ministry. And we were talking about calling cards and we were talking about cassette tapes. And uh, there are some young people in here that unless your parents or grandparents or somebody had a conversation with you, you have no idea what a calling card is. There are some homes, I understand, that still have phones plugged into the wall. Those do still exist. Not everything is mobile. And we used to have to get calling cars to talk long distance because it was cheaper to buy a calling car than it was to pay for the long distance bill. And so Rochelle would take her lunch money that her parents gave her for school and she would go to the gas station and buy a calling card. So whenever I got out of class in college, she could call me and we could talk for an hour or so. And, uh, and so that's, 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 you know, those things that are, um, uh, you know, just foreign to some people. Um, I have no idea why I shared that. (laughs) Complain, Facebook. Oh, there you go, social media. (laughs) Got to retrace my stuff. Social media, right? So, uh, yeah. But I would take that a step further, what I just said, and say that the church of Jesus Christ, us, we should be more passionately unified in Christ in times of desperation, then we are divided. I want to say that again. We should be more passionately united in Christ in the times of desperation that we are living in than we are divided. We see that in this first church. People were being arrested. People were being killed. Families were being separated. People's lives were being torn upside down. We've already talked about how the the church in Jerusalem, their home, they were displaced. We, we talked about the, 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 that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan just experienced the same exact thing. And they stayed unified. They stayed unified in times of desperation. And, and I think the difference between us in America and, and, and those of our brothers and sisters around the world and, and even that from the first church that we're studying is that if we'll just be honest this morning and honest in our life, is that we walk too much in the flesh and not in the spirit. If we'll be honest about that, I think that's the first step to getting to the place that God has ordained us to be. And that is exactly, again, the, the song I was just saying is so true. We are the ones that get in the way. God is unstoppable. His ordained plan is unstoppable. There's nothing in this world 
that can stop him except his church, the, the church. I mean, he could do it without us, but he has chosen, he was ordained to do his work through his church. And so we are the ones that have got to submit and walk in the spirit and live in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, so that we don't get in the way, and so that God's will is accomplished. And I think that if we had flipped that, if we would just all determine this morning to say, you know what, I think not just our church, but the churches across this country, to say, you know, we're going to flip that. We're going to stop giving into our flesh. We're going to stop living by our flesh. We're going to stop doing those things, and we're going to give every effort to walk in the Spirit. We're going to have every effort to submit to the Lord, to follow his way, to, to sacrifice, to mortify all of our fleshly desires and all of our fleshly impulses, and we are going to give in and walk in the Spirit. For the nation of Israel, it took one person to stay the hand of God several times. But one time in particular, we know that there's a story of God marching his people into the promised land after, after delivering them miraculously out of captivity in Egypt marching them into the promised land, victory after victory, and they come to this one place, and in pride, they say, you know what, we're just going to send a small little army to this small little town called Ai. And so they do. They do. What they didn't know, even in their pride, uh, I would say pride, but even, even in their maybe uh, self-confidence or whatever you want to say, there was one man that his sin produced correction and defeat for the people of God. A man named Achan, he stole, he hid those treasures under his tent. And again, it brought defeat to the people of God. In a town that should have just, literally, they sent a small army, they should have wiped it out. But because of his sin, it stayed the hand of God. Prayerfully, our flesh our sin, our tearing down of each other and others aren't like the hidden sins of Achan. And therefore, our hidden sins stay in the hand of God. But I, I'm concerned that together with the open defiance to the things of God that we're, we're seeing among the people of God in America, those who are lovers of pleasure rather than God, that that's what's happening. Is that we could see the hand of God miraculously move across this country like it has before. I, th I believe that we could see a revival that would happen and transform our communities. But it will not happen as long as the people of God are walking in their flesh and not in the spirit. As long as the people of God are not unified. We need this unique unity in the church if we're going to make it through the trials. Not just we're going through now, but I have to say we're going to face greater trials ahead. Everything that we go through, God does and allows for a purpose to build our faith and ultimately to glorify him. So if you think this is bad now, I'm telling you, buckle your seatbelt. And that's not to be like a, a downer or a skeptic or, or pessimist or anything. That's just going off of what God's word says, that it will increase, that lawlessness will increase, that the love of many shall continue to wax cold, that, that the times will become more dangerous and, and more evil. And so we as the church need to press more into God and to one another. Even in these new believers, like those in Antioch, they're experiencing a great move of God because of this unity. But you gotta ask, you gotta know and, and, and answer this question, do you think the enemy liked what he was seeing in that first church? Uh, 
you know the answer. He never has and he never will. The enemy never has like and never will like when the hand of God is moving and doing supernatural things. He never likes it. I've talked about it, preached about it, we've talked about it and preached about it in this study alone. You come down to this altar. You go into your private place of prayer and devotion. You determine in a relationship with God, God, I'm pressing in you. God, I'm, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. God, I'm going to start witnessing. God, I'm going to be more faithful. God, I'm going to start giving. God, I'm going to start doing this. God, I want to give more. God, I want to serve more. God, I want. The more you say, okay, I want to do, just get ready. The enemy is going to try to discourage and keep you from doing that. And when a people, a church, determines and commits to do that, just know he's going to do that. And I believe that's exactly what's happening, not only in our church, but in the church, again, across America and even the world. I think it's important for us to remember as we move forward, because what we're about to study, what we're about to see is, I believe, another example of just that. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for what you do in our lives. And what we've already experienced this morning, Lord, I know just the, the sober messages, Lord, the, the things that we've been going through um, as a church. Lord, they're not just by chance. Lord, I believe you have something great in store for Trinity Baptist Temple. I believe that you are not only doing great things that we can see before us, people's lives being changed, added to the church, baptized, people being discipled, people going out and sharing the good news, people being faithful to you. Lord, there's no, no doubt there's great things happening. You're doing great things. Lord, we also see the enemy fighting tooth and nail, uh, trying to do everything he can do to distract, to discourage, to divide. And again, I believe ultimately to try to destroy what you are doing here. And I pray we as your people would remember your word, that we would be sober and vigilant, knowing that our adversary, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he, he can devour. Knowing that if he can sow division and if he can sow pr enough problems and enough distractions in this church, then we could be knocked off course. Lord, help us to remember that and help us to remember your words that we are to mortify the flesh, that we are to daily put to death and put off the old man and put on the new man in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would, we would have the spiritual fortitude and the faith uh, to press into you and to one another so that we can see you do even more great things in and through this church. Lord, we pray that you would just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. We haven't really, in, in our lifetime, uh, experienced what they're experiencing in, in, in America. Uh, there are definitely brothers and sisters in churches around the world that have experienced that, and, and, and even to this, this moment. Um, but it was a very intentional effort to harass, to destroy, to... To, to, to kill off the church because it says in verse 2 then he killed James the brother of John with the sword and because he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to seize Peter also now it was during the days of unleavened bread so when he had arrested him he put him into prison and delivered him four squads of soldiers to keep him to guard him intending to bring him before the people after Passover which is exactly what he did with James he was the intention was that uh, he was going to take Peter and, and kill Peter, the, the head, the, the leader uh, of the church at this point in time. And so I'm, we're going to make a spectacle of him, but we can't do it during the Feast of Unleavened Bread because that's forbidden and that, that will really make the Jews mad. 
And it's, it, it's important to understand a little context and history because um, this, this is Herod Agrippa I. And he was very serious about targeting uh, the church. He reigned from about 37 AD to 44 AD. And he was the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, he had all kinds of debts to Rome in his, in his, in his reign. He fled to Palestine. Uh, the the history, te- history tells us that he was imprisoned by Tiberius uh, because of some of the things that he had said. The way he was living eventually he was released and uh, after Tiberius died. And history tells us that he was made ruler over northern Palestine to include Judea and Samaria. And um, again, he had uh, a role in persecuting the church because he was trying to curry favor with both the Jews and with Rome, whom he was in debt to. Now, his favor with Rome depended, uh, and, and as did all territorial monarchs, on his ability to keep the peace of Rome. So he was only going to be as effective as the peace that he was able to sustain in his domain. So in Israel, that means advancing the majority, you know, the, the, the popular opinion, the popular desires, and also suppressing the minorities. Advancing the majority and suppressing the minority. Especially disruptive groups like this growing band of Christians. In one sense, he behaved much like Pilate. He was governing only by what Rome would think, even though he uh, bore, I think, even greater blame than the governor. But uh, again, Pilate Pilate was uh, a Roman, and so he was acting only under the hand uh, of Rome. But Herod had every reason to understand the background of the messianic expectation of Jesus Christ, and therefore his attacks on the church were very deliberate, very calculated. And so notice in this persecution that he begins of the church, James immediately is martyred. This is one of the the, the original 12 apostles, one of the the sons of thunder. He He is... one of those early leaders of the church, one of those people that were, were discipling people and reaching people and serving and, and people were going to, this was one of those first church leaders. And so he's martyred. Peter, immediately after this happens, is put into prison. As I said, wasn't going to be mar- murdered because it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So to kill uh, not only was forbidden, but it would be a big problem for uh, his, his, his standing with the Jews. So in the midst of all of the miracles, all the life change that was going on, now the leaders are under this severe attack, death and even threat of death. And so the question that comes to my mind, and I think it's important for us to ask and answer, is what were they relying on? Right? You have one of the, the we call them elders, one of the, one of the elders, one of the elders is murdered. The, the, the king of the area you're living in has made it known that he is going to exercise all of the power and authority he has to destroy you, your faith, and everything that has to do with Jesus. You're put into a predicament. You're put into a circumstance. What are we going to do? They killed James. They're about to kill Peter. As soon as the feast is over, that's what's going to happen. So what, they were, what were they relying on? Were they relying on their circumstances? Were they relying on their experience? Were they relying on their logic, what they knew? Or were they relying on their jobs, their money, 
their health? Were they, were they putting their confidence in the government that the government would do what was right? What were they clinging to? What was this first church clinging to? Among many things that we can glean from this, and we could, there's a lot of things, but I believe we see in point number one that they knew God is God. They had to. We're going to read and see what happened. God is God, and I put in the parentheses there, even in what we perceive to be good or bad circumstances. Right? We, we all are subjective in, in our life. We go through things. We experience things. We, we gain a perspective based on what we experience. And we can, we can formulate thoughts and make decisions based on what we experience because that's our experience. And so whether they're good circumstances or bad circumstances, that can, that can, that can drive our thought process and our decision process, right? Lose your job, get your family struggling with, with, with um, you know, getting along and, and uh, health issues and, and now all the bills are piling up and like, what does your outlook turn to? What, what does it become? Again, James is martyred. Some people may say, well, why didn't James get arrested during the feast and experience deliverance from Peter like we're about to find out did? Right? That, that would be one question. Why, why did James just get martyred? And, and why, why couldn't he just get imprisoned? And then God miraculously deliver him? Why Peter? Peter's already messed up a lot. But yeah, but James and John were arguing about who's going to be on the right hand of Jesus on the throne. It wasn't a punishment. Peter not only has messed up, but as I've said before, he will continue to mess up. He's about to get rebuked in a real, in a real way. But God is God. And, and I think it's so important for us in the midst of our world that we're living in, the things that we're going through, the things that have come down in, in our life, just in, like, everyone's like, oh, we get to 2021, things get better. And look what's happening in 2021. Like, it feels like there's more division, there's more issues, there's more, it seems like it's mounting. It seems like the Bible is literally being played out before our eyes and we're living it. And so we have a choice as the people of God to remember and determine to live on this truth that God is God and we are not. As I said, we see and experience and create a very subjective outlook in our life. What happens to us, what doesn't happen to us, what we see, what we feel, what we assume, all of those things are vying to create a worldview that we have to battle against in many ways. Right? Because if you're watching the news and you're on social media and you're watching television and you're talking to people and people at your work are talking and all this stuff is going on, all that stuff is pressing in to your life to, to try to create a perspective and a worldview. When the Lord says to battle against, he says to set your mind on things of this, not on things of this earth, but things above. It's a choice, it's a determination, it's something that we have to fight for. And so all these things that are pressing into our lives and and trying to to create this this worldview, again, this is the subjective worldview. And as the people of God, we are called to have a heavenly worldview because our citizenship 
is not on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible says. So we should strive for that. But I think the reason why that's not the case is because most of us aren't spending the majority of our days in Scripture and prayer and witnessing. You say, well, <laughs> who can? The majority of our days in Scripture, prayer, and witnessing. I think I wouldn't have a problem with Kyle if I could spend most of my days in, in prayer and Scripture and witnessing. But I can't. But I think that if we did, we might not have such a worldly and fleshly subjective perspective or worldview. So why do you bring it up then? If we can't do it, if we all have jobs, we have lives, kids, got all this kind of stuff, got to do right now, we've got to do all this kind of stuff. If it's not really possible to spend most of our days in the Word of God praying and witnessing to people, being just messengers on this earth, being, being ambassadors for the kingdom of God, being, being those, if we can't do that, then why are you even bringing it up? Because I bring it up to say this is what we must battle for. It's a battle. If it's not really something that, that we are able to do all day long, well, yeah, if I was able to just, you know, fast every day and pray and be in God's Word and then go out and witness and, and do all those things, I have to worry about going to work and hearing all the junk and hearing all the people talking and I didn't have anything else influence on my life, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have a problem. So if that's the reality of our life, we have to come to a place where we say, okay, it is a battle. I'm not able to do that. So I have to fight for this. I have to fight to have a biblical, godly, eternal worldview. I have to fight for it. Because the world has so much of my time. The flesh gets so much. In Colossians chapter 3, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. This doesn't mean that you don't have things that, that, that we worry about on this earth or, 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 or concern ourselves with. It's like, well, oh, well, I, you know, I don't have to worry about putting gas in my car because I'm thinking of things above. <laughs> it's not like that. That's not what he's talking about. It is literally this, this warfare that we have every day because we are so inundated with temporal things and temporal thoughts and worldly and sinful and fleshly things are all pressing into our, our lives and vying for our affection and vying for our thoughts that God knows this and tells us, look, if you've been raised with Christ, then you have to make effort in your life to keep seeking things above. You have to deliberately set your mind on things above. You have to make the effort and don't put them on things of this earth. Why? Because you have died in verse 3. You no longer have say in your life, control over your life. You've died and your life is actually hidden with Christ and God. That's why you need to keep seeking things above. Romans chapter 12, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but every day be transformed. How? How can I battle the stuff that I'm dealing with? I mean, I've, now my job is telling me this. Now they're, they're saying this on the news. Now they're saying this in my family. Now they're saying this. How, is this, how am I supposed to be conformed, transformed to the image of Christ and have my mind set on things above. It's a daily renewal. 
And that's the only way you're going to be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians chapter 4, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind, who only think about temporal things in themselves because they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin in that anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but let, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to store it from himself and build up a good retirement. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not knocking it, but this is what God says. It's about an eternal perspective. It's about keeping that mind renewed for eternal things so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Others oversell. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Let nothing that is destructive, downgrading, evil, corrupt come out of your mouths. But only things that are good for building up. It's fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all those things that nag at you and cause you to be resentful, and let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in the same way as God and Christ forgave you. All of these things are imperatives. All of these things we must do in order to fight for the right mindset as the child of the king. This is what we have to determine to do. We, we think sometimes that just because we said yes to Jesus and we got in baptismal waters and are a member of a church and we have a Bible and we show up to church, that by default we're all going to be able to fall right into that category. But every day the world is smashing us with all of this negativity. The world is, is vying for our affection, our attention, all of these things. And so we, as the children of God, in temporal vessels, all of us in fleshly bodies that are prone to wonder, that are prone to sin, that are prone to give into the flesh, that are prone to have worldly mindsets and fleshly mindsets, all of us have to give effort every day to remember that God is God. And we are the ones that have to press to him. We are the ones that have to give effort in a fallen world, in a temporal body, to walk in the spirit. And I say what we perceive in that point, God is God, even what we perceive to be good and bad circumstances, because we know truths like this. 
that we must be renewed in our mind every day. I'm going to get point number one today, but that's okay. In your notes, I'll put these, and I'll, but I'm going to just, we're just going to cover them. Every day, we need to remind ourselves of this. All flesh is grass. And, a, and the glory of flesh like the flower of grass. So I don't care how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, how much you know about what you know. It's going to go away one day. Beauty, strength, intellect, it's all going to go. The grass and the flower withers. Guess what never withers, never fades, will always remain? The Word of God. So if everything, including our own mind, is susceptible to fading, what should we cling to that never fades? The Word of God. We need to remind ourselves every day that our life is a vapor. We're just here for a little while, and then it's going to be gone. And the amazing thing is we just don't know when that's going to happen. Again, in our story, for James, he's gone. Peter, he gets put in prison. In this life, we will have tribulation, number three. Some of these verses we've talked about recently, even last week, shared a couple of these. All that live godly will suffer persecution. We need to remember that. Every day we need to remember and be reminded that every day has enough trouble for itself to worry about tomorrow's evils. Yeah, but what if this happens? You know what? If that happens, God is God. Yeah, but that's not going to be good. Even in the bad, God is God. And he is good. And he's got us. And we don't need to worry about what tomorrow may hold because we know that God is God and he is our God. Number six, we have a God-set, God-ordained time to die, as I said a little ago. There's nothing you and I can do to stop that, delay that, avoid that. Nothing we can do. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing we can do collectively to stop the day and the time that God has appointed that we leave this earth. God's got it marked down in eternity. I don't care what measures we take. I can, put, I, can, I can get in the most safe vehicle, put my seatbelt on, drive with 10 and 2, use every single driver's education thing that you could possibly do, and you know what can happen? Somebody T-bone me and take me out of this world. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And you know what's amazing about that? Somebody can T-bone me, and I can leave this world, and somebody can face the same exact accident, get T-boned, and stay on this earth. Why? Because God has set and ordained the time that we leave this earth, every single one of us. He knows when the sparrow falls, he knows the numbers of our heads, so we do not need to worry, number seven. We shouldn't be anxious for anything, the Bible says, but everything that we face that vies to, to strike fear and worry and anxiety in our life, how do we handle it? With prayer, the Bible says. How? Trusting God's sovereignty that God is God. He is either God or he is not. And if we say he is God, that means he is God and he is overall. Number nine, we have a heavenly home and a heavenly body beyond this temporal one. Praise God. Man, 
Right? That, that, that's why Paul, the apostle, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, in this tent we groan, longing to be put on, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. It's not that we, we are, oh, I can't wait to die. I can't wait to drown to death. I can't wait to get T-boned and die. I can't wait to get cancer and die. I can't wait to get this illness and die. I it's not, he was saying, it's not that we did, but the, the, what the, is longing in me is that I would be there. <laughs> And then 10th, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I shared that Friday night. He doesn't change. We are the ones that change. The last thing is in your notes there that I'll cover is this. God didn't stop being God when James was killed or when Peter was arrested. God didn't stop being God when... The Wuhan flu came on the scene. The Wuhan virus, whatever it is. I'm not minimizing anything. CCP, COVID-19, whatever, whatever you want to call it. He didn't cease to be God. It didn't surprise him. He was not God whenever Brother Michael Crane went home because of Parkinson's. He didn't stop being God when he took Debbie Moore home last October. Servants, loving, contributors, blessings. God did not stop being God at any point in our life. He is God and he will be God far beyond this world for all of eternity. And as the people of God, we need to start living like that's what we believe and that's who we believe in. I think that's vital. Now, how can a Christian, how can we as the people of God get drugged down by this world when we are not even living for this world because, as I said earlier, we, we start living more for the flesh and more for this world. I'm not saying that we don't face real emotions. We all get discouraged. We all face difficulty. We all go through difficult times and, and, and trying times and different. We all feel the emotions. God made us that way. We deal with that. But how we move forward in life is so vital. And I think it starts, we see in this first church, we see it over and over again. We see it once again. We didn't even get to, to, to what I was hoping that we'd get to. But we need to remember God is God. And you know what is, is in that truth and in that belief? Freedom and peace. Freedom and peace. There's a lot of things that as a pastor, as a church, we face, we have faced, we have dealt with, we have gone through. And you know the, the, the thing that has carried? God is God. God is God. If I wanted to change things, couldn't change it anyways i'm gonna rest in him i'm gonna trust in him i'm gonna be as much as i possibly can be and i fail i miss the mark but as much as i possibly be a child what we say in the first song a child of god let's determine to be that this morning let's say you know what I don't know what's going to happen with my health. I don't know what's ha going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. I don't know what's going to happen here. But you know what I do know? God is God. I know this world's temporal. I know God's in control. No matter what happens, 
this is not my home. I'm going to live the very fullest I can for his kingdom while the time I have that he does give me on this earth. I'm just going to live in that surrendered state. And there's peace and there's joy. There's all the things that God can provide when we live there. And I want to encourage you and urge you to, to, to get there and live there. Let's get there and live there together so that we can have unity and peace and we can see God do something supernatural in and through our lives. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do. Um, again, we thank you for uh, this challenge. Lord, you know uh, my heart has been challenged over and over in, in studying this and talk to you and, and confess it now before the, the entire church. Lord, I, I want to give you more. I want to serve you better. I want to walk more in the spirit. Um, I, I want to rely less on this world, less on myself, less on anything that's temporal. I want to have complete trust, confidence, weight in you and you alone. You are the only one who's worthy of our confidence. You are the only one worthy of our trust. You are the only one who is eternal. And so we ask that you would help us, Lord, help us to, as we saw in Scripture, set our mind on things above. Help, help us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Help us to stop giving into the flesh and listening to the world. Lord, help us rally together with the one who's worthy to rally around. And that's you, Lord. And I pray that there would be victory in this church, through this church, in the church period, through the church period, across this nation, across this, the, the globe. Lord, that we would see uh, in these last days, what we believe are the last days, according to your word, uh, a rallying together, a revival, a pressing forward and to, to the goal like never before. And so, Lord, we pray that you would move our hearts this morning. Help us respond rightly. And, uh, Lord, just do something great this evening in our response. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand.